0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Shall Be Well. I'm Anne Boyd, host of All Shall Be Well, a podcast by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We're here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Let me invite you into a conversation with professor and cultural sociologist Felicia Wu Song, in which we talk about her recent book, Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age. Reading this book felt like a real spiritual journey for me, with Felicia serving as a gentle guide. She describes the challenges that come with our compulsive use of digital devices and then leads the reader into spiritual practices that help temper some of the harmful effects and reorient our focus back to connectedness with God and one another. It is a beautiful and courageous and kind book, especially around a topic that could be filled with shoulds and oughts. And Felicia and I talk about why she decided not to offer a lot of hard and fast rules about managing digital devices. I really love talking with Felicia, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation, too. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Dr. Felicia Wu Song is a cultural sociologist of media and digital technologies, currently serving as professor of sociology at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, Her research is oriented around the rapidly evolving digital technology industry and how the adoption of social media and digital devices fundamentally alters the landscapes of family, community, and organizational life. Dr. Song lives in Santa Barbara, California, with her husband and two children. When she is not working, she enjoys reading children's chapter books, baking breads, doing the New York Times crossword puzzle, and daydreams about becoming a bass player. So, let's dive right in. We are so glad you're here with us. Thank you so much for being here. I've been yeah, really it's excited. A real pleasure. Yeah, I've been so excited. And um, I have to tell you that it's been such an interesting experience reading your book because I feel like I know you a little bit mm. already um, because all of these ideas have been so rich. And then I keep wrestling with you (laughs) in my head. I'm I'm like arguing with you about some things. And so it's been just a really um, transformative experience. I feel like for me, it's been um, kind of like a reality check that is Mm -hmm. uncomfortable at times, but also a really beautiful invitation. I think you do a masterful job of laying out the problems um, that we're facing around our digital habits without mm-hmm. flinching. And then I felt like you also perceive the reader's despair over it. And then instead of you know allowing us to move into shame and guilt, you mm-hmm. suggest these new life-giving practices. And it felt like such a kindness from mm-hmm. author to reader when presenting difficult truths. So I wanna mm-hmm. thank you for mm-hmm. your work mm-hmm. in this. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I think part of it might be because I feel the despair myself. Yeah. And so I'm trying to find ways um, to, to guide myself, uh, yeah. to find my own way um, in, in a way that isn't just guilt and shame because I yeah. that doesn't usually lead to a uh, productive ways forward.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think the reader can really sense that. So mm-hmm. that's, it's wonderful. So I want to start by just learning a little bit more about um, why you wrote this book. Mm -hmm. And I can see that this topic really lines up with your field of study, which Mm -hmm. I understand to be cultural sociology focusing on media and digital technologies. Yes. So what drew you to this field and how did your research develop into this book?
1: Yeah. um, So I started thinking about uh, media, and digital technologies um, back in the mid nineties. I had read Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death, Mm -hmm. um, a book about the ways in which television impacts us, but not the content or the programming Mm -hmm. of television, but the sort of um, the form or the medium uh, or the practice of watching television. Mm-hmm. Right, um, that was shaping us in profound ways. And I, fo- I found Postman to be um, talking about concepts and ideas that I was really hungry for and mm-hmm. wanting to have conversations about. Uh, because in the mid-90s, um, email was just becoming mainstream. And right. I was teaching at a high school at the time, uh, boarding school, actually. And they had just implemented, kind of introduced email to all these 14 to 18 year old girls um, in this residential environment. Um, And there was no conversation at all about what the kind of impact of that would be Mm -hmm. on our relationships, on on our school environment. And so I started thinking about um, one, longing for those conversations, two, asking the question, why don't we have these conversations in American society? And that's where I started moving towards, um, questions of, um, <clears throat> what is, uh, American society's relationship with technology, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what do we, what, how do we tend to think about technology? Um, you know, I think most people would agree where we tend to be fairly optimistic mm-hmm. about what our technologies can do. And it. And how they can improve our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, the, the cultural sociology piece, I think for most people, when they hear cultural sociology, they think I'm interested in studying different cultures, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like more like anthropology. Yeah. Um, but actually, this understanding of cultural sociology is more focused on culture as meaning producing. That is, how do we derive meaning or how do we create meaning? And so, um, that I was really interested in how um, our digital technologies were impacting, forming the ways that we understand community or relationship or identity and how our experiences with the mediation of technology was somehow kind of shaping that um, in some way, right? Kind of forming our imaginations of Mm -hmm. what it means to be in community, or to be in relationship, or what it is to even form an identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of what got me going. Um, And the book is the result of some, you know, some parts of it are the results of of a long time of pondering, uh, thinking about technology, um, but also um, thinking about um, how a Christian theology or someone who is informed by uh, Christian faith, uh, could, uh, would d- think about or approach technologies distinctively, right? The mm-hmm. question was, is there anything distinctive, right? Of, of right. one's commitments, uh, towards following Christ that would shape, uh, the ways we, we practice our technologies.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you get into the spiritual formation implications of Mm -hmm. all this technology and it's such um a helpful lens through which to Mm -hmm. view these issues and Mm -hmm. um and to find a path through to Mm -hmm. to freedom and balance Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. yeah and that's where i'm incredibly indebted to jamie smith's book Um, You Are What You Love and his Mm -hmm. prior series, The Desiring the Kingdom trilogy, that when I came across that, it just was like this light bulb of this works, right? This makes sense in the context of our technological practices.
0: Good. Yeah. So um, I want to get into the, what you talk about, the implications Mm -hmm. of digital habits in our culture. Um, And so let me tell you about my experience of reading the first um, part of this book. Okay. You you go into the data that many of us have heard about the effects of digital devices on our brains mm-hmm. and on our relationships and on our society, and then the economic factors that drives mm-hmm. companies to create digital tools that are more and more addictive and that commodify our relationships. And so when I was reading these chapters, I kept wrestling With this feeling that I wanted some clarity on the rules, I kept thinking, like, okay, well, what's good or what is bad or, you know, what are the limits? And it was the same feeling that I get in conversations about the health implications of eating sugar Mm -hmm. and the ways that added sugar can, you know, be bad for your health. Mm -hmm. And also that there are these processed foods, you know, that. Are designed by companies that have economic interests and want us to keep buying them right so and i guess i i mean i kept wondering you know what is okay and what does moderation look like and you know is it okay if i eat a piece of birthday cake in the same way that it's okay (laughs) to use a digital device you know from time to time and you know to connect with grandparents who are far Mm -hmm. away that sort of thing but you don't actually give any rules and i think you do that on purpose so I would just love to hear about your process and your decision in mm-hmm. um, thinking about those ideas and how to lead us into the place you do take us into practices.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the, the sugar analogy and, and just dietary kind of food analogies is, is right on. Um, and, and it's a really kind of productive analogy um, to, to, to pursue and thinking about technology. Um, Yeah, I, I, I definitely purposefully don't set out rules um, um, for a couple reasons. Um, One came out of having a series of very different kinds of conversations with different people who have been interested in uh, talking about this topic once they they learn about my area of study. Um, And what I've always been struck by is just how different people are um, Mm. and that people have different personalities, different propensities, different weaknesses, different needs. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's different talking about children and adults and adolescents and so um, part of um, the desire not to prescribe um, comes out of a recognition that people are really different and live different lives and and actually have um, different kinds of um, skepticisms or attractions to technology Mm -hmm. Right. there really isn't a kind of, it just increasingly became clear to me that there wasn't a one size fits all type of way to go about this. Um, And then my second reason actually comes, this is is kind of more rooted personally, is that um, I'm just someone who's really bad at following like like new new year's resolutions that I come up with for myself or, (laughs) or some like the newest diet or whatever the newest or exercise regimens are are just, I'm so bad at them. And so I just know what it's like to be presented (laughs) with rules and constantly be failing at them and just feeling inadequate and thinking, Oh, well, I'm just never gonna get good at this, or I'm never gonna be able to solve this problem because I can't manage this rule, right? This one principle. And so part of it was just trying to figure out what, you know, what other ways can we try to forge um, so that um, it wasn't about just checking off kind of a list of 10 things or five things. Um, And I know for some of us, and, and I include myself in this is is that once I'm given roles, then I, I I want to master them. I want to be the mm-hmm. best at oh, them. I yeah. want <laughs> <laughs> um, to feel good about myself. And and that's not that's not the purpose of this. Um, right. And so that's 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 sort of why the, the direction of the book uh, goes goes in the way that it does.
0: It makes so much sense. And I think that um there is this desire to have a tidy solution when we come up, you know, in front of complex problems. Um, But it's really, it's not actually effective. And in so many ways, I think we really learned this in a new way in the pandemic that, that everyone had different needs and that Mm -hmm. they all needed to be addressed individually. And so I think your book, offers a path toward that mm-hmm. so let's let's talk about this I loved um, you you give so many exercises and ideas in your book and then also the freedom to develop your own mm-hmm. um, you call them counter liturgies so can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about about that about that idea of counter liturgies
1: yeah um, so this is drawing from Jamie Smith's idea that, um, our our lives are made up of all kinds of liturgies, um, practices, and habits that have a way of forming us through time, mm-hmm. right through repetition and time, and that what we do with our bodies has a way of, uh, as he puts it, shaping our loves, right, shaping mm-hmm. the ways that we imagine the world, imagine who God is. Um, and so it's it's a kind of outside-in formation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he um, talks about how there are secular liturgies, the liturgies that we uh, adopt or practice that are um, from our culture, from our society. Usually we, we practice them in an unreflective way, right? It's mm-hmm. just what, what we've grown up doing or what everyone else is doing. And, and that unfortunately, when... When we are unreflective, it is often the case that these secular liturgies are misforming our loves, that is directing us away from the kingdom of God. And so he proposes that for people of faith, one ought to not just try to avoid or reduce or remove secular liturgies in Mm -hmm. this context, perhaps our technological habits, um, but to also um, adopt counter liturgies that push back against the inevitable misformations that occur just by virtue of living in our society. And so this counter liturgy, I really love because um, it's this understanding of needing to fill ourselves with something, like fill ourselves with something good, fill ourselves with something that is life-giving um, and it, and it, it, it's premised on this idea of our humanity uh, being one of appetites, right? That, that mm. we, we are desiring beings, um, mm-hmm. as he puts it, and he draws from Augustine for this. And, and so I think that speaks to us, right? That, yes, we, when we are on our technologies, we're looking for something, right? We're yeah. desiring something, whether it's belonging or stimulation, something that's exciting, satisfying, right? We're looking for something. And so the counter liturgy um, is some kind of practice that starts to form our loves in ways that uh, actually start to fulfill those desires, right? In ways that may not seem obvious in the beginning, um, because some of them might be challenging and uncomfortable. Um, But in the long run, as much of life is, um, in the long (laughs) run, we start to realize, oh, this is actually what I really wanted. You know, this is really what I needed. Yeah.
0: Well, and you describe some of these um, in your book, in these exercises that you include that you've yeah. practiced with your classes. Can you can you share some of those, you, maybe one or two of those examples?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so one counter liturgy that I've practiced and that I encourage my students to try is um, the practice of monotasking. And mm-hmm. so this is Um, In contrast to our culture of multitasking, where we really prize the capacity to do several things at once, and we use our technologies, um, you know, our technologies are often promoted to us uh, as Mm -hmm. such, right? Um, And so monotasking is just doing one thing. Um, And that means, you know, when you're sitting down to eat, you just eat. Like no reading, no listening, right? Um, You know, presuming you're just having lunch on your own or or something like that, right? It's not to say that you should ignore all your uh, compatriots or family that happen to be with you. Um, Or if you're driving, you just drive. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if you're waiting at online at the checkout, uh, you just wait, right? Um, And so the point is one to um, try, just to try uh, these experiments to see what happens when we actually do one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Do we notice what we're actually doing more? Mm -hmm. Uh, Do we notice what's going on around us, the people around us, the place we are at? Um, Or um, are we filled with thoughts our own thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and what is that? You know, are are those thoughts anxious thoughts? Are they um, thoughts that we don't let ourselves have because um, mm-hmm. we crowd our minds with other content? And so again, the point is not to succeed, quote unquote, in right. monotasking. It's just um, needing to be aware um, and mm-hmm. and in some ways sort of observing oneself and um, and noticing okay what's actually happening am I anxious about this why am I anxious you know mm-hmm. why am I anxious when I'm not listening to anything when I'm driving yeah. um, and and then p- pursuing that right and and really um, in some cases you know if it's if one feels the holy spirit nudging right really just kind of being like okay lord like what is this like is this mm-hmm. something I, I need to really be praying and and laying before you so monotasking is one Um, uh, another one that's, uh, pretty practical is changing our bedtime, um, and wake up routines. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of us go to sleep with our phones, um, as part of our bedtime or wake up routines. We're checking our last emails or texts or Twitter, whatever it might be. Um, and the idea here is to, um, is to consider what sacred times do we have in our lives Mm -hmm. Um, And is bedtime and waking up considered a sacred time? Um, And maybe we can take 15 minutes um, and change up our bedtime routines um, or wake up routines so that they don't include the technology and all that it brings with it. But maybe it's a time that we actually protect um, either for our own thoughts, for seeing the morning light, Mm -hmm. um, for the people who happen to be proximate to us or just rest, um, protecting the rest that so many of us desire. So um, again, just uh, small, containable, modest types of practices that, again, might just get us to notice
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: something about ourselves um, and and what it is that we really desire.
0: And I love the way that you frame it as an experiment, that it's, um, it's not that you have to do it this way forever and ever. Yes. Um, It's easy to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have lunch and I'm not going to focus on anything else. And this is the way I need to do it henceforth. And, you know, having a sense of rebellion against that, you know, this is ridiculous. (laughs) I'm not going to do that, but to do it once and to then notice what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, I think that really provides a lot of information and helps you to craft something that works for you, whether it's that or something else moving forward. Totally. Um, fascinating. Well, and, you know, as I was reading this, your book, um, I kept thinking about our listeners, um, many of whom are really busy women, you know, in graduate school or professional school or faculty, they're, they're high performers. And um, I think that, all of us uh, participate in uh, multitasking and, you know, we're, there's, there's a lot to produce. Right. But, um, and I was thinking about you too, because Mm -hmm. you are a professor and Mm -hmm. you are a parent. And um, so there's a lot going on, but what I heard was an invitation to a life that acknowledged our humanity before uh, moving on to producing something. And it was really freeing. Mm. So, I would love to know a little bit about what your own journey has been like in practicing some of these things and how you have um uh come up against the lure of productivity and how you've wrestled with that.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah, I definitely, you know, I I like to um say that there was a time in my life where I was really the queen of hypertasking not just multitasking, but Mm hypertasking. And it was something, you know, and, and what I mean by that is, is that it just, it wasn't that I just wanted to do many things at once. I wanted to completely maximize every 15 minute increment I had in my life, you know, Mm -hmm. and I thought in those ways because my life was, you know, my, I, I knew when my classes were, I knew when my office hours were, I knew when I needed to pick up my kit, right? Like I could see my day in a, in a, Planner type schedule, right? Like the mm-hmm. little blocks, and I would be filling them out mentally or actually, right? Mm-hmm. And so, think you know, I think there was just a time when every moment needed to be filled with planning my lectures, thinking about what the next meal was, right? And um, there was something that felt responsible about mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that, felt um, appropriate. And at the same time, I knew that it was um, making me an incredibly unpleasant person. (laughs) 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 Because anytime those 15 minutes weren't being maximized in the way that I had foreseen, Mm -hmm. right? Any interruption, any. I just, I did not respond well, right? I just did not respond well because I, I felt resentful. I felt thwarted, right? Um, and and I, I didn't like that part of me. Mm-hmm. I still don't like that part of me. Um, and I was also just really tired. Like I could feel the tyranny of it, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I could feel the weight of it and I could feel it, especially when I try to rest, and I couldn't,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like, it yeah. just, it, it was like, it didn't, it, it felt like I needed to be doing something because there always is something to do. I mean, that's the problem with being in academia. It's the problem with parenting. Right? Sure. It's like, there's never an end, right? You it's never, never, done. You never clock out.
0: Yeah, There's
1: always more cleaning. There's always better parenting. There's always, you know, something. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I do think there are seasons in our life, Mm -hmm. right? There are just going to be seasons when you're just going to be doing a lot, you know, filling your time because it's just what life demands, you know, whether it's the needs of one's family or the particular season in one's academic, you know, journey um, and profession. And so um, I think I had just hit a point of exhaustion um, where I just started wondering, one, wait, is this actually how I want to spend the rest of my life right? Right. Like living this way? I'm not sure. And, and of course we all in academia, we hold forth, you know, the, the wondrous moment, you know, the, the, the finish line of tenure, right. Right. <laughs> of like you know, the paradisic, you know, go through the gates. And, um, but I think for a lot of us, because we are kind of um, bent towards achievement, even when you pass the threshold of tenure, it seems like there are other Right. There are some yeah. many other new goals, new thresholds that we seek to meet. And so um, it, it really started with really modest, um, small shifts where, um, you know, things like, well, I'm just going to turn off my phone at night
0: mm-hmm.
1: and just really like turn it off um at nine o'clock and that means I'm not going to check my email or whatever right right Um, 11 o'clock whatever it is in one's life and it's just like I'm just done like Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep checking my email until two o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. because there's always going to be more email for me to you know send um and it was these small adjustments um that started me thinking well you know maybe maybe this is worth it. That is maybe it's worth trying these small adjustments, um, seeing, if me, seeing if it works. Um, you know, I started doing my laundry without listening to podcasts you know? <laughs> um, just a couple of <laughs> times and just seeing like, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were just interesting. I mean, it was uncomfortable sitting in the car, not listening to anything, but I found myself, especially when things were busy and really hard, especially the last couple of years, Mm-hmm. Of of so much of what's been happening in our country, um, it's just like you know. There are times when I found myself praying, you know, when I wouldn't have been praying, or I right. found myself remembering a conversation, right, mm-hmm. that I had earlier in the day, um, and just kind of reflecting on it just a little bit more. And so it's mm-hmm. just those small things that made me think, oh, maybe there's something to this way, this approach.
0: Yeah, it makes me think. I want to read um, a quote that you have in your book. Um, I'm going to find it here. It's from Richard Foster. Hmm. And I think this is from chapter seven. You, You say, back in 1978, Richard Foster wrote, in contemporary society, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. And that I, I, I put a big uh, mark on that. And I'm, you know, I covered your, <laughs> your book has all kinds of post-its for, and, but I, I hear in your story, this experience mm-hmm. of noise and hurry and crowds and um, whether it's, you know, people nearby or there's just there's so much and there's so many options mm-hmm. and so choosing a discipline that pulls you out of that mm-hmm. is really countercultural and I I know that I've had some experiences of that as well where I'm I'm choosing to step back and it's um, there's some discomfort in that, as you're saying, you know, sitting in the car and not listening to anything, you know, but then there's also, there can be fruit in that same way of when you sit down to do something, um, creative or, you know, where you're going to write or draw, you, you don't really know what's going to happen or if it's going right. to be any good, but those moments are, um, are kind of like a clean slate where we can open, open ourselves to what the Holy spirit is doing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, when you mention art, I just think that, you know, anyone who has been practiced in any sort of music or art, or if you've ever spent time as uh, training as an athlete, Mm
0: -hmm. right,
1: there is the work of the technique and the drills, right, that aren't always exciting or (laughs) fantastic Mm -hmm. um, to experience at the moment. But then when you listen to a musician or, or see the artwork uh, or, or see the, the the skill and prowess of an athlete, right, doing what they do and the kind of beauty and freedom of mm-hmm. movement that they exhibit, I think there's just a parallel of, of the kind of life that we actually want to live, right? Yeah. Um, the kind of person we want to become, right? Mm-hmm. Um that is free and full of the kind of movement we desire um, that one has to practice one way, oneself into, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think, um, you know, part of my own journey is um, wanting to really become a different kind of person, really. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. not wanting to be the harried professor
0: <laughs> that's right. just running
1: around from class to class and is is um, scowling over my to do list, um, or or being the the harried mother, you know, mm-hmm. coming home and and harried by the meals and the homework and and so forth, but wanting to be a different kind of person who can be present to the people in my life that is open to interruption, right? Mm-hmm. And can, you know, I've seen people in my life who are very gracious, um, like genuinely, right? Sure. Just gracious yeah. people. And they they just seem to occupy time and space in a different way
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm always
1: very struck by when I'm with yeah. them. And it also kind of slows me down, you know? Mm-hmm. It kind of like helps me to breathe a little deeper, be like, oh, it's okay. You know, <laughs> it's gonna, yeah. everything's going to be okay. <laughs> and, and just kind of thinking, wow, like one, I really admire people like that. And two, how do they become like that? <laughs> right. Right? right? Um, and, and how do they maintain that sort of posture towards life that, I don't know, it seems kind of like th- their capacity for delight is is greater than mine, mm-hmm. um, and I and I want a piece of that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe these small exercises can can move me down in that direction.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think you're on to something. One of the things that you mention is Sabbath. You talk about Sabbath in the book um, as a counter liturgy, mm-hmm. and I've been um, practicing Sabbath for. Um, several years, I think I read Marva Dawn has a, yeah. a book on Sabbath. that mm-hmm. I read quite a while ago, and then when um, when our children were born, I really had to go through mm-hmm. some figuring out. You know, what does Sabbath look like when you're you still have to make meals and you still have diapers yeah. to change? You know, totally. Um, but and so it feels like a practice that's you know it's a slippery concept that we're yeah. always trying to figure out how that what that looks like in our lives. But I would love to hear about your own Sabbath rhythms and how how they've developed and what you've what you've found um to be helpful practices or limits and um like the fruit that you've found hmm. from those experiences. Yeah.
1: Um well here I'll need to be really honest with you Anne. Um Sabbath is just uh you know, it's still my kryptonite. <laughs> it's a I, real struggle. I really struggle um, yeah. with it, and I and I, you know, and I can't say that I've found a routine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it really kind of ebbs and flows for me. Um, and you know, there on, on my best, you know, kind of in the best moments, mm-hmm. um, and and it's usually easier for me to practice um, when there's a particular kind of liturgical season mm. like Advent um, sure. or Lent um, mm-hmm. that is that again is contained it's like four weeks you
0: know
1: right, <laughs> four weeks right. Of Advent, <laughs> um, where, where I can it's bounded and and there's certain um, kind of uh, traditions within the church mm-hmm. right and in a kind of collectively shared Um, hope right that we can observe advent together and light candles and right so those those parts of the calendar um in the in the church uh, liturgies helps me Mm -hmm. um when it comes to sabbath it makes me think of it gives it somehow gives me more capacity to encourage my family um Mm -hmm. to say hey we're Let's actually, you know, there was, a, there was um, one time when we tried to um, cook a simple meal together as a family mm-hmm. on Sundays um, and, you know, bring out the tablecloths and the candles and, and, um, and share the meal that we had spent um, creating and, and cooking together. Um, there are other times when Sabbaths have meant forcing myself to just go um, lay in the hammock outside mm-hmm. when I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and force myself to just like, well, you know, it's like a timeout, you know, it's like, you're just gonna have to go lay in the hammock mm-hmm. and trust that God is gonna take care of all the things that are mm-hmm. occupying your heart. Um, and so I think the way I write about Sabbath in the book um, is in some ways um, an attempt to motivate my own imagination mm-hmm. about Sabbath. I think there are different ways to imagine Sabbath, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as, you know, not, not um, you know, if we draw from like a biblical notion of, of agriculture, not gleaning all the way to the edges, right? right. Not all the way to the margins or uh, Brueggemann's um, mode of Sabbath as, as a kind of resistance to capitalist society, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I've, I too have gone through these different modes of like having different understandings of Sabbath animate what I think I'm doing um, mm-hmm. when I'm trying to step back. And so in the book, I, I, it's sort of my, my, my newest sort of discovery mm-hmm. of Heschel's understanding of Sabbath as actually... Um, this what he calls an architecture of time right this mm-hmm. architecture of of a holy time that shows up at your door mm-hmm. um, and that one is encouraged to welcome in and so this notion of this sacred time right that is actually out of my control like it is yeah. not mine to spend or save or whatever or manage right all the kind of terms we use in relationship Mm -hmm. to time but that it is a holy um time of of god's gift and grace um that shows up at our door and the question is are are we ready to celebrate and welcome the guest in Mm -hmm. Um, and um you know, I need, I need more celebration in my life. <laughs> <these Right. days>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I need every encouragement I can get to, um, you know, welcome the guest in of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just found this idea of Sabbath being something that I actually don't have a, not that I don't have a choice about, but it's just something that's outside of me.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. That exists. Mm-hmm. It's like like yeah. and it
1: just exists. Mm-hmm. And, and I just get to choose whether I want to welcome this gift or not. And and you know, and, and maybe I don't for that time or or, right. or I, I do. And so um, yeah, like I said, this is something I'm still um hoping will continue to seep into me. Yeah. Um, and that I can live into. And, and so it's helpful on my Sunday mornings or, or, you know, I mean, for anyone, depending on one's life schedule, it might be a different day or just sure. part of a day. I do think to myself, um, well, you know, um, this is an architecture of time that I'm being invited into. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and maybe there's um, a, a way in which even if in my heart um, for a, a, a very liminal period of time during that day, I can I can live into that, you know. Yeah. Um, and whether it's just extending my journal time or laying on, you know, in the hammock or gardening just for a little longer, mm-hmm. um, that could be um, the way of well coming in that Sabbath.
0: I love that. And I really appreciate your honesty, um, about the struggle because I think for, for professors and anyone who's living a busy life, it's really hard, you know, having the freedom to experiment with it rather than saying, well, I can't do it, you know, perfectly. So I'm just going to toss the whole idea, you know, but they're, you know, like laying on the hammock or even, you know, lighting a candle, mm-hmm. if you're going to do some work to, to acknowledge mm-hmm. God's presence with you, or, um, you know, I try to prepare meals that are either simple mm. or fun for mm. me to do. Yeah. Know? Right. Just so that mm-hmm. I don't have to, so that it's not a burden, you know, what can we do on, on that day in particular to make, mm. make our lives a little lighter and to invite Jesus into it a little more clearly and to enjoy being embodied and it's, it's a journey. And I think it changes constantly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just listening to you speak makes me think about how, um, you know, I, for one, am someone who has a really hard time having a good time. (laughs) Um, that is, uh, you know, like I lived in Louisiana for seven years and I was just always really genuinely impressed and envious by how folks in Southern Louisiana really know how to have a good time. You know, like when they dance, they dance, when they have parades, Mm -hmm. they go all out. I mean, they're just, they're all in it, you know, Mm -hmm. and for a variety of reasons, I'm just really bad (laughs) <laughs> at like good time, like just letting go, right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. playing, like you said, like creating a meal that's fun, right. Like yes. I'm just good at fun. Like, it not, Like I'm like, give me the task, get it done. <laughs> uh, right. I'm about efficiency, productivity, boom, 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 right. I mean the next thing. Um, and so uh, I think that's personality and, you know, my professional training, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think if we start to think about Sabbath as actually the Lord inviting us to say, hey, what's going to give you a good time? You know, like mm-hmm. what's actually, right? Like I want yeah. you to play, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want you to have delight. Um, and even thinking about, you know, when one goes to uh, attend church, right? Uh, it was like, well, it seems like when we gather with with the Lord's people, right? That it should be, Something that is just outrageously delightful, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, what does that look like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I just think that thinking about Sabbath in that way, right, as as a as a sort of like God's invitation, right, and and permission, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. Permission
1: to be like, no, like, I want you to play. I want you to mm-hmm. have fun. I want you to rest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just um, a really lovely. I think, um, um, picture to seek to live into.
0: So I want to acknowledge that this is really hard work. The, the vision that you've put before us and, Mm -hmm. um, our connection with our digital devices has become so enmeshed in our lives that, um, it takes a lot of intentionality. And so I, I would love to hear, um, what encouragement you can give to us and to the listeners. And if you have any stories in your own life of seeing the benefit um, of putting some work toward disconnecting ourselves intentionally, um, stories in your life or in the lives of those around you.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So one of my hopes with this book is that um, a reader would come away actually feeling like it's possible mm-hmm. to do something different. Mm-hmm. And that it's possible. Um, even when, as you mentioned, um, so much of our personal and professional lives are um, Integrally embedded in um, the uses of our devices. Yeah. Um, that, for one, that there, that there is hope. <laughs> I think that's really important. Um, I think the, when I talk to my students and I uh, talk to my own peers, there is just this growing sense that I hear um, from people that it's, it just feels impossible. It feels, mm-hmm. we feel stuck it feels overwhelming. It's not going to change. It's just going to get worse. Right. Um, so this this is always the, the tenor of those conversations. And, and so one of the things I, I, I hope for is that, um, um, for one, there would be a sense of, Hey, there are some small adjustments that are, Mm -hmm. are doable, you know, maybe 15 minutes is, doable for me. Yeah. Um, I don't need to do a whole three day fast or, right. you know, whatever <laughs> all those like amazing other people do, um, 15 minutes might be doable. Um, and, um, or, you know, something that's not a 30 day plan <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: right, right. that I need
1: to maintain. <laughs> and, and so, um, some of my hope is that the book does present some concrete options for folks to that that would just animate their own imaginations, right? Mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, that actually sounds might be kind of (laughs) nice. Or, oh, if it's not nice, oh, like, oh, I wonder what would happen, you know, kind of a Mm -hmm. curiosity. Um, Because I think so much of our imaginations about technology just feel pretty set. That is, Mm -hmm. like, we feel like, oh, we have to do this. Um, or it has to look this way. Um, When in fact, I think our technological practices are much more flexible Mm -hmm. and malleable than we tend to imagine, right? Just like so many other aspects of our lives. I mean, like, you know, back to the food analogy that you mentioned earlier, like, You know, I live in California where when we invite guests over, like you just ask if someone has dietary restrictions. Like, we all just expect each other to eat differently. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it strikes me like it's not obvious to me that we should all demand of each other to use technologies in the same Mm -hmm. way, right? Mm -hmm. That we would all be on call instantaneously all the time, responding to our emails immediately, right? Like, yeah. But we all seem to have moved into this mentality. Right. Um, And so I think there's just wanting to kind of create more space in people's uh, imaginations of of what's possible in their lives. Um, And and some of it is also, you know, in terms of encouragement um, for the person of faith who's reading the book. um, I just really think that um, like Christianity might be actually the place to be. When it mm. comes to these practices, because it's a, a it's a religion that has this tradition and theology that is robust in celebrating our embodiment, mm-hmm. right? Um, it is uh, robust in talking about um, and and histories of of spiritual disciplines mm-hmm. um, that, depending on whatever tradition one might have. Uh, might be more familiar with. Uh, you know, we, we might uh, have more familiarity with certain tradition uh, mm-hmm. disciplines than others, but it's just a rich place mm-hmm. uh, to be in that I just feel like there's so much fruit still to be born, right? There's yeah. just so much good practices and theology that we can be mining and exploring and talking about together um, to then apply, to this Mm -hmm. particular aspect of our life. Um, And so um, when I think about uh, journeys that people have been in, um, certainly in our own family's journey, you know, we, you know, with our two kids, two adolescents, it's like, we're, we're in the trenches just like with everybody else. Like we are there with Minecraft and Snapchat and yeah, like it's all, we're all, we're all in, you know, and Um, You know, and it's, it's hard, right? It's like you said, it's super hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, every time when I go to bed um, and I'm kind of locking the doors up and checking, you know, the lights and everything. um, And every once in a while, when I glance over at the charging stand that -hmm. we have set up Mm -hmm. for the entire family, everyone's got to charge their devices over there and I look at the stand and I can see every single person's device and you know, it's like a picture of our family right Embodiment <laughs> of devices right um I'm just thankful <laughs> that um this small little practice right we all just charge our devices over there not in our bedrooms mm-hmm. right and um I'm thankful and hopeful that you know, it feels like a really small win, like a really small win compared to everything else that happens mm-hmm. throughout the day. But I always just pray that um my kids, my husband, myself, like maybe this is just setting some kind of, of protection, foundation, shelter over arrest. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, just just in this little part of our life um that will that will bear fruit in Mm -hmm. the long run right Mm -hmm. um and that eventually you know my children might you know once they carry on on their own decide is worth doing for themselves right yeah um and um Perhaps grow into other parts of their life um, mm-hmm. when they also reach those points of frustration um, and, yeah. and, and felt a tyranny. so um, and I see it in my students um, mm-hmm. it's It's always great um, teaching them about these matters and talking to them and listening to their stories and and having them try some of these experiments and um, having them come back and say, you know, I I'm, I stopped doing it after our class, but I'm, I'm thinking about doing it again. Sure, <laughs> right? yeah. Um, I'm thinking about just waking up and just doing push-ups and sit-ups instead of checking my phone. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember doing that for that exercise and that was all right. That was pretty yeah. that was great. And so I just, I guess I have a confidence in... Um, in some ways, I have a confidence in our ultimate appetites, mm-hmm. right? That when we really do taste something that is good, um, that we will come back to it, you know, mm-hmm. and that we will long for it and and we will pursue it in the end, right? And so part of the book's hope is just to kind of present, right? These, an invitation to, to try, right? To yeah. try tasting something that might actually end up being pretty great Mm -hmm. um and that you know can lead to to other new new habits and routines
0: Mm -hmm. I think this book to me feels like holy work that you have put out into the world to um to shine a light and to help people to examine themselves in um in ways that nobody's talking about or very few people are talking about. And I fe- it feels, as I was reading it, I kept thinking this, it felt so courageous that you were uh, standing up to such a force in our culture and um, you're highlighting it in a way that um, I think it takes a lot of courage to write about and takes a lot of courage to, um, to look at yourself but ultimately can bear so much fruit thanks appreciate that good word in her book felicia mentions that c.s lewis quote about how we are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea we are far too easily pleased There is so much truth in that around our digital habits, and I am grateful for Felicia pointing us toward a holiday at the sea through the practical tools in her book. I'm excited to grow in my practices of looking up and seeing what's out there. All Shall Be Well is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $5 or $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at give2iv.org/thewell, or through our donation link at the well. And as we close, let me offer a benediction from Felicia's book: May something so small as lifting our eyes up from our devices be our first act of faith, trusting that our human presence has been ordained in any given moment and place to be meaningfully purposed as the hands and feet of God's profound love for humanity and all of creation.